Good morning, church. Here's a thought. If you, if you preach the gospel, you should invite sinners to believe in the gospel. But if you don't preach the gospel, I see no reason in the world why you should invite anyone to anything. I was raised in a church culture, which I think is common to a lot of American churches, where, boy, that preacher better make an invitation. So many times I didn't really understand what I was being invited to. And I would say, to put this forth this morning, if, if, a, if, if a church doesn't gather together and preach the gospel and cherish the gospel and focus on the gospel that saves, but the preacher makes an invitation, you're inviting them to hell. Which I believe is why we have so many people who can tell you when they came down and made that decision, but yet can't articulate the gospel that supposedly saved them. If, that's why it's so easy to invite. I've, I've had people sometimes go, well, do you invite people? Well, I preach the gospel, don't I? It's so natural to preach the gospel. You've got to believe that people are going to come. If I, if, I, if I believe in the power of God to save me, and I believe in the power of God that the, the Bible tells me about, then I understand that people are going to come and believe in that gospel. It's as easy as breathing to come invite them. But I, I think we have a lot of people today who've been sitting in pews for years and they go, well, I came down and made that decision. Okay, you made a decision to do what? Well, I, I invited Jesus into my heart. No! Cut that stuff out! We don't invite Jesus into our hearts. We believe in the gospel to save is what we do. Never found that in the Bible. Invited Jesus into my heart. You came down and made that decision though, didn't you? What's going to get church, I think when I was raised in a culture where I didn't always hear the gospel, but when I, had, I heard the gospel really clear when I had a revivalist come in town. And so we would, we would hear God's word and we'd be invited to believe in, in something. But I'll tell you, the very first time I think I ever heard the gospel was when we had a revival. I should be a revivalist every Sunday I get up here and talk. Our small group leaders should be revivalists. Our Sunday school teachers should be revivalists. Every one of you who claims that Jesus is Lord, you're a revivalist. You have the gospel. You should be preaching it. Don't wait on me to invite. I'll invite, don't worry. Let's not make more about the invitation than the gospel that saves. If we don't have a gospel and we invite people, we're inviting them to hell. Because I tell you, the gospel can make a Christian like that. But a legalistic church can make a Pharisee just as quickly. And that's how Pharisees are born. Well, we're all born Pharisees, I would say. But I was saved by the message that Jesus Christ came, lived in my place, died in my place as a substitute because I could not pay the debt that I owed to God unless I went to hell. 
And he said, I will go. I will live for you, Abby. I will die for you, Abby. And you will believe in the work that I have done and not the work that you do. And I put my faith in that. And I believe because I believe that, that I will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. One of my heroes in church history is William Carey. He's the first Baptist overseas missionary. Um, There were plenty. There's, um, man, Hudson Taylor. There's Adoniram Judson. William Carey's one of my favorites because he was a quote machine. And I quote him a lot. Here's one of my favorite quotes. To know the will of God, we need an open Bible and an open map. Christian life is an adventure. God's will will always take you to God's word, and God's word will always take you to places that you never thought you'd end up. And I I mean, a lot of you all, I just hear you going like that. Yeah, I know. There's something very American about having a job, having a good job, getting yourself a good plot of land, having a nice house, having a ton of friends. And God has called a lot of us to that, But God never promises us that life. God never promises us the American dream. The Bible never promises us that we won't have to take risks. The Bible never promises us that we'll always be safe. And God never promises us that we'll be completely at home even when we're at home. Christians are... Sojourners. That's the idea I want to put forth this morning. Christians are sojourners, and here's what sojourner means. A person who resides only temporarily in a place. You cannot read the book of Genesis and not see that word. I don't know what the KJV says, but I'm pretty sure the KJV uses that word. I've been around for a while. We live our lives with the knowledge that this universe that we live in, it's going to be rolled up like a scroll and a new heavens and a new earth will take its place. And before Jesus Christ comes to judge the earth, we're called to go. What did he say to Abraham? Go. We're called to be a part of sinners' lives. We're called to reach the lost. We're called to be in places like Jacob finds himself in the text that we're going to read. He didn't figure that he would ever be in Egypt. We're called to spend time with people who use bad language. They make unhealthy choices and they don't know God. Jesus purchased us not so that we can really just have a convenient life in the American dream. Jesus purchased us not to make us happy, but to make us holy. He purchased us to make a people that He can set apart, who can be ambassadors for the kingdom of God, and they can speak into a dead world, and they can speak life, the very same gospel that saved them. We're sojourners. We're strangers on earth. We're not from here. We're, you know, you hear this one all the time in the church. I'm just passing through. Sojourning is one of the principal themes of the entire Bible. Abraham was a sojourner. He was called to leave his home. Genesis chapter 15, verse 
13, right after God makes his covenant with Abraham, what does he do? He says, your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. Isaac was a sojourner. Jacob was a sojourner. And now, as we're going to see in chapter 46, his own family are sojourners. Not just Joseph, not just Joseph but all of them. Here's the gospel this morning. Jesus Christ was rejected by the world, despised of men, and nailed to the cross so that we too could be crucified to the world. Because our sin debt has been paid by Jesus and we have been born again by the Spirit, we are sojourners on earth. Our home and our inheritance and our life are with Christ in the next world, and our mission is to reach the living dead in this one. That's it. That's why we're here. If you don't mind turning your Bible to Genesis chapter 46... If you brought a Bible, if you didn't, it'll be on the screen. If you're just joining us or you're new to this church, we preach expository preaching. We believe at Haynes Creek that we preach from the Bible. God wrote a book. It's called the Bible. And so we preach what God has said. And we're going through the book of Genesis. And right now we're in chapter 46. Now, I'm from Kentucky. I'm going to butcher these names. But another Kentuckian in here, I'm sorry. He probably can't do any better than I can, though. And so I practice some of these names, but y'all bear with me now, all right? You'll stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read the whole chapter. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob with their fathers, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came to Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons, his sons with him, his daughters, um, and his sons' daughters, all his offering, offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and the sons of Reuben, Hinoch, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jekin, Zohar, and Shal, the son of a Canaanite woman, the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merar, I butchered that one, verse 12, the sons of Judah, Ir, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah, but Er and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul, the sons of Issachar, Tola, Tola, Puva, Job, and Shimron, the sons of Zebulun, Sered, Elon, and Jalil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Pedan Aram, together with his daughter Dinah. Altogether his sons and his daughters numbered thirty-three. The sons of Gad, Zippion, Haggai, Shunai, Isbon, Eri, Erodi, and Erali, the sons of Asher, Imnah, Ishvah, Ishvi, Beriah, and Sarah, their sister, and the sons of Beriah, Heber, and Melchial. I don't know if that did that one right. These are the sons of Zilpah, whom Leban, Laban gave to Leah, his daughter. I'm going to pay for that one. And these bore to Jacob 16 persons. 
The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph and Benjamin. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore to him. And the sons of Benjamin, Belai, Becher, Eshbel, Gera, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. These are the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, 14 sons in all. The sons of Dan, Hushim, the sons of Nephtali, Jazil, Gune, Jezer, and Shillam. These are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, seven persons in all. Now, don't, re- don't miss this one, verse 26. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all, and the son of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt, were 70. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and I know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me, and the men are shepherds, for they have keepers... For they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that we may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with my flocks and herds and all they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen, and if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed him, blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as, fathers, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his, brother, his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. Whew! God's word. Let's pray. Father, you did not waste one word. You didn't repeat yourself. You are never redundant. Every word, according to 2 Timothy 3.16, is for our good. And Father, I pray that they would be for our good this morning. Let your spirit preach from my mouth. Let the spirit convict in our hearts. And Father, let it be profitable for this assembly this morning that gathers in the name of your son, Jesus. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I saw some of y'all thought I was going to stop at the end of the chapter. Y'all like, okay, here we go. Oh, okay, here we going. All right.
didn't do too bad on the names, I don't think. Here's the summary. Jacob, Israel, has reached the end of his life, not with a plot of land or a country of his own to bequeath to his children, but in a foreign land, entirely dependent on the grace of God and others. God has blessed him immensely, and Jacob has reached 130 years old, knowing that his entire life is but a great sojourning on the earth in preparation for glory. Pretty humbling, pretty scary and humbling for Jacob to come to Egypt. It's a foreign nation that worships foreign gods. Egypt isn't known as being a godly people. And Jacob is essentially coming to the end of his life having to plead for help. Now he gets to see Joseph, which is good. But Jacob has been trained over 13 decades now to know that God's just leading him by the hand. And once again, God reminds Jacob of his promises. I'm God. I'm the God of your father. Do not be afraid. I will make you into a great nation. And Jacob, don't miss this. I will be with you when you go into Egypt. If I'm Jacob, I've been through so many things now. I've wrestled with the living God. I've seen him fulfill his promises. I'm like, all right, let's do it. I mean, it's hard for us to believe this because there's so many extravagant circumstances taking place, especially Joseph being alive. But if I'm Jacob, I have seen God come through time after time after time after time. I should be like, you've done it before. It doesn't work like that, does it? We're human beings. Every single person in here has seen God do the same things. And we still what? We still struggle. And Jacob's doing the same thing. God is comforting Jacob because Jacob needs to be comforted. He's scared. He's been do- but God's been doing this all throughout Genesis. In fact, he's been doing it all throughout time. God still comforts his people with his promises even today. When I'm frightened to do something God has called me to do, when it burdens my schedule, when it takes me out of my comfort zone, when God challenges me, God goes, hey, remember me? I'm God. I'm the God, by the way, that saved you. I'm the God of the Bible. I'm the God who has sustained you. Abby, don't be afraid. I'll be with you. Trust me. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion of the day of Christ, and I'm going to be with you. I have to have God whisper into my ears and into my soul just like Jacob does. Why? Because we're sheep and we get scared. The problem is not going through trials. The problem is going through trials sometimes and instead of listening to the God of the Bible, the God of the Word, the God of the universe, the living God, we come through scary seasons in our life and we choose to believe the God that we've made up in our minds. And that God doesn't sound the same. He'll say, remember me, I'm the God of your heart. Remember me, I'm the God who gives you the things that you want. I'll be with you. Get through this and I'll give you more of what your heart desires. I'm not going to point you back to the word. I'm going to point you back to your carnal desires in your heart. I'm not going to lead you back to God's holiness. I'm going to give you more of what you already wanted. And I'm going to keep, and I'm going to keep your conscience at ease so that you can continue living unregenerate and in the same way you've always lived. That's not the God of the Bible. Every time, here's something to think about. Every time God brings his people through trial, this is what he happens. They think less of themselves They behold God's holiness, they treasure God's word, they believe in God because he's God and not because he gives them what they want. 
That's what God does with his people through trial. But Jacob is not completely without blessing. Let's don't forget that. All those names that I went down, half the ones I butchered, that's Jacob's people, and God has given them all to Jacob. Jacob's got a big old clan rolling into Egypt. If I'm an Egyptian, I'm like, who in the world? Oh, that's a, oh, that's one, that's a family. Oh, wow. Somebody's been a fertile people. Seventy people rolling deep. Jacob's like, these are my peeps. Joseph, where do we go? Hey, you're going to go over there, and we're going to talk to Pharaoh. Okay, guys, come on. This is a big crew coming in. They're shepherds. Joseph brings Jacob to Pharaoh, and here's what he says to Pharaoh in verses 7 through 9. Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are a hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. The days of the years of my sojourning. That's how Jacob describes his life. How long have you been alive? Well, I've been sojourning 130 years. I'm going to start talking like that. Jacob's entire life has been one great big trip. Some of y'all are going, oh, sounds like my life. That's it. One big temporary stay. Jacob, how long have you been alive? You, you, you can kind of imagine this. Pharaoh knows Joseph well. Joseph's like, hey, Pharaoh, hey, my daddy here. He wants to talk to you. Okay. Hey, dad, get in here. Hey, how you doing, Jacob? What's going on? How old are you? Been doing this thing 130 years. Whoa, wow. You didn't tell me your dad was so old. Wow. Been sojourning 130 years. Let me tell you about it. Well, then Pharaoh's like, wow, man, you've been old. And then Jacob goes, well, I ain't been half as old as my daddy was, though. That's what he says. He's not being boastful about it. Abraham, show that if you don't mind. Abraham sojourned for 175 years and died. Isaac sojourned 180 years and died. Jacob has sojourned 130 years and will die at 147. God's people are sojourners. That's what they are. That's who they are today. Now he's brought Jacob probably to the last place Jacob ever thought he would go. Egypt. And he's standing in front of Pharaoh. There are, you know, just a quick word, just the thought about this. There are a lot of older folks. They get into the, to the last seasons of their life or into the twilight. I'm not going to say they're old. I'm going to say they're older. And we have this misconception that the older we get, the more established we are, and we just kind of cruise in to the ends of our life. And I think a lot of people find the opposite. The older they get, they have to reinvent themselves, and God throws new things at them, and they find that they haven't stopped sojourning Till the very end. We have, young people think that old people just retire and then everything gets easy. That ain't the way it works, does it? Okay, here we go. <laughs> Didn't get easy for Jacob, did it? He's 130 years. He's still got 17 years left. And God's like, no, 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 you didn't stop. Now hold on, you thought you were staying. Oh, no, no, you're going into Egypt. Okay. God's people never, ever find true rest until we find our heavenly Canaan, which is heaven. 
We never stop sojourning. I think a lot of Christians think that sojourning means just living in a sinful world, but it's more than that. We need to get away sometimes um, from this idea that we're going to live in an evil world, but we're going to protect ourselves and keep boundaries from people getting in. I think God calls us to live in the midst of an unbelieving world. God calls Christians to get their hands dirty. We've got to evangelize, but we've got to do more than evangelize. Once we evangelize, we've got to invite people to church. We've got to invite them over to our house. People who have been saved by God are the light. Jacob was sojourning in Egypt. Can you imagine if Jacob kind of took on a lot of attitudes we have today? We're like, hey, uh, this, this place is going to hell in a handbasket today. I'm not, I heard the other day, I, I read in the paper that Egypt just put up a new statue. It's godless people. I'm not going over there. I'm, pe- I'm, I'm with God's people over here. And God's like, no, you're not. Go back into Egypt. You can think Jacob like, hey, Joseph's alive. Great. Where is he? He's in Egypt. Oh. Okay. I think I've mentioned this before. In the greater Atlanta area, y'all going to have fun with this one. I've noticed, I'm not from Atlanta, and I'm not from Georgia. I've noticed that wherever people live in Atlanta, this isn't true for everybody, but there's always somewhere to move away from. Have you noticed that? I'll give you a, 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 just an example. Everybody has a place that they're trying to get away from to get away from the riffraff. A lot of the folks in Conyers, they want to get away from that, that crime and, and, and that mess over in DeKalb and Lithonia. A lot of people here in Covington, they want to get away from Conyers. A lot of people here, I've talked to people in Covington, they want to get away from the stuff that's happening in Newton County and they go to Madison. Go to Walton. I don't know where the people in Madison go. Greensboro, maybe? I don't know. I'm sure if I went over to Madison, though, they'd point to some place over there in whatever county they are. What county are they? I'm sure Morgan County has some riffraff. And they want to get away from it. I just don't know where they go. Everybody's just trying to get out. The point is this. It's one thing to protect yourself and your family from crime, which is important. It's quite another to live with so much fear of the world that you completely avoid the very people that you're trying to save. And I can't help but think that in the greater Atlanta area, there's this, sometimes, there's this collective idea that we need to get away from them. It's everywhere. And I don't think it's healthy. If you're never ministering to messy, immoral, self-destructive people who make bad choices for themselves, you ain't sojourning. Because you can't go very far in this world without running into those people. You're just trying to cruise through life. There is no safe sojourning. There's no convenient sojourning. That's the opposite of sojourning. Being a sojourner is being a stranger. If you feel like you completely fit in the world you're in, you probably join the world. Sometimes God wants you to go into Egypt. Sometimes He wants to invite somebody who, of questionable character 
over your house for dinner. Sometimes he wants you to minister to somebody who cusses like a sailor. We're called to join the long line of biblical servants. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, the prophets, Jesus Christ, the apostles, disciples, on and on and on and on. We're called to join the long line of people in church history, in salvation history, who sought God's will instead of seeking the affirmation and comfort of the world. Abraham was a sojourner. Jacob was a sojourner. Moses was a sojourner. The people of Israel were sojourners. Jeremiah, you better believe, was a sojourner. Ezekiel was a sojourner. Jesus Christ was like, you know, foxes have holes. Jesus Christ didn't even have a hole to lay his head. Jesus Christ was the ultimate sojourner. Paul was a sojourner. Disciples were a sojourners. How could we escape the long line that God has created for his church where we know constantly we're not designed for this world. And if Jacob ever had a cause to go, you know what, God, I'm tired of this. God, I guarantee you would turn back and go, this is for your good. Verse 9 says it all. Verse 9. Man, you're really good with the slides. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. Few and evil. You catch that phrase? Go back. Oh, no, never mind. You're, you're, you're Johnny on the spot. You're good. Few and evil, he says. Jacob describes his life to Pharaoh. Hey, how you how sum up your life? Few and evil. That's weird. Um, <laughs> it's a remarkable way to describe someone's life. We don't get many weeks and months and years to live for God. We don't. I noticed that having three-year-old twins, and they're almost four. Better to spend our days sojourning for the true God than serving conveniently for a false one. The guy who lived 130 years says that his days are few. The guy who lived 13 decades says he doesn't have a lot of time. That means no one in here has any time at all. You don't get forever to repent and believe in Jesus. The people in hell burning right now, agonizingly us being assaulted by the wrath and holiness of God, they can plead all they want. Time's up. There's a common myth that goes around in the church sometimes where people think that God gives you a last chance to repent and believe when you die. That is not biblical at all. That's a lie that... Oftentimes the Catholic Church peddles to make sure that people can live how they want, but they'll get a second chance when they die, when in fact the author of Hebrews says you are appointed to die once and then comes judgment. You don't get extra time. You only get one life. The days are few and evil and they go quick. And we just keep putting it off. I'll do it tomorrow. I turned 34 years old this week. When I was 30, I had hair and I had no kids. Now I'm 34 and I have no hair and I have two kids. My wife
wife's like, oh, honey, you didn't have hair then. Um, <laughs> I've lost loved ones. I have sinned greatly against people I love. I have been sinned against. I've seen hurt. I've seen pain. It hadn't been easy. I've come to places in my life I never thought I would be. My days have been few and evil if I really think about it. And I'm proud to be a sojourner. It's not easy and my flesh wants to be something other than a sojourner and God continually keeps pushing me out of comfort till I can understand and abide in the truth that my home is not here. Oh, I want it to be though. I want it. I want my home. I'm tired. I don't want to be a sojourner. Avi Todd in his flesh doesn't want to be doing what I'm doing. I want rest. And I think C.S. Lewis would tell me that that's what tells you that you're designed for something other than this. Few and evil are the days in Covington, Georgia. Few and evil are the days in 2020. We are in Egypt, but what God wants us to know is there is a land flowing with milk and honey, but it just isn't in this cosmos. The days of my sojourning have been 34 years, is what I should tell folks. Oh, it's your birthday this week. How old are you? Well, I've been sojourning 34 years. But what an honor it is to follow after the living God and to be a disciple of Jesus. Famine can take away my grain. I can find myself in foreign lands. I can be stripped of what I have. My future may be uncertain, and I may not have a stable home at times, but I have a heavenly city and a God who has promised me that He will be with me and He will not forsake me. i got to hold on to that every week. If you ever find yourself somewhere in your life where the, the promises of God aren't quite as comforting as they once were, you need to think, am I still sojourning? Because the sojourning, the sojourner has to constantly come back to the promises of God and finally find his fulfillment in that truth every single day. Because if we find our fulfillment in anything else, we're being hoodwinked by the devil, we're being hoodwinked by the world, and we're being hoodwinked by our own flesh. In 1 Peter, in the very first verse, he writes his letter to the elect exiles, is what he calls them. And here's what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. If we follow after Jesus... We're going to have trials. But what God wants us to know is you don't have to worry about your inheritance. It's with me. No one's going to steal it. Moth and rust don't destroy it. We're elect exiles. We're sojourners. To some degree or another, a Christian should not completely fit into the world. This morning, if you're thinking to yourself, What's my, why is my life so hard? Why can't I ever get a break? Why does God send me through all this junk? I'm tired. A couple things. One, it might be because of your own sin, and God wants to wake you up so that you can finally repent and believe in Him. 
But two, it could be that God is mercifully allowing you to sojourn in his name so that you will never attach yourself to the world that you were never designed to. It could be that God wants you to be just like Jacob, going place to place, season by season, trial to trial, depending wholly on Yahweh and not yourself. Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ was murdered by ungodly men, Peter says. But it was by God's design. 